How are you? Doing very well, Al. How are you doing? I'm good. I have a question for you. I I sure. don't want to put you on the spot, and I'm probably going to ask you something that is well-known, and maybe I knew it at one time, but I've forgotten it. I'm not sure. But on my blog roll, I was looking at it the other day, and I have jean shorts bagged milk, and I don't know when I'd put it in there, and I don't know when that blog went away if it did. Was that you? Yeah, that was originally, uh, man, I remember sending you an email to see if I could get loaded on there. That was probably when, cool, I couldn't even tell you what year, but uh, that is now defunct. It is now gone. Removed from the blog roll, but that was originally kind of where it started to get me at OilersNation.com. So that is a throwback to many, many moons ago. So I, I can take it down off the blog now then because it's not, it's not using, it's not usable. Well, I've got to do better maintenance on that damn blog, obviously. Um, okay. Let's talk about the Vegas game because I know a lot of, a lot of people were heading down there. They were having fun. It was a riotous, riotous all-star break based on 16 W's. They didn't get it done. A uh, lot of disappointment. Where do you see the orders now? I see them the exact same place I saw them before that game against Vegas. I thought that the Oilers played very, very well in that game. But sometimes you have to tip your cap to a goaltender that makes some big saves. The Oilers also hit some posts. They missed a couple of opportunities. They played well. But sometimes in pro hockey and pro sports, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And that game really felt like a coin flip. And it felt like whoever's going to get the last save was going to end up winning. And ultimately, that's what happened. You know, on the game winner by Chandler Stevenson, I thought there was a little bit of a misread there by Cody CC, And it ends up in the back of the net for what ended up as the game winner. But the Oilers were right there in the end. And I think that now they have the opportunity to start another 16-game win streak on Friday night against the Ducks. It's not going to be easy. They've got to make sure their details are dialed in, and they need to make sure they're ready to play. But ultimately, I think that that's just good sports right there. That's what that is. They played two good teams going at it, and unfortunately we came out on the wrong side of that loss. And I think if they win both California games, it's a road trip. Uh, Anaheim's playing better. L.A. is a very good team, although they've struggled, but they have a new coach. Chances are they'll be the, the dead cat bounce. Uh, and, and Vegas, we know who they are. If they come back 2-1, and one, I think fans should be pleased by that. 100%. 1,000%. I, I think that the Oilers, what they've done over the last, six, eight weeks has been really remarkable to watch. And there's no reason to be dejected by one loss in February. Losses were going to happen. They weren't going to win out the rest of the season. We all knew that. But now let's make sure that we're not letting one loss turn into two, turn into three. Let's get back on the right side of the equation, right side of the ledger here. And I think that there's an opportunity to do that in Anaheim on, on Friday night. Like you said, they're playing much, much better there. But they're still a team that's, you know, four, five, and one their last 10, despite winning their last two. So I think that there's still an opportunity there. That's a team that, in my opinion, the Oilers should beat more often than not. And let's take it one day at a time. But where I think about the Oilers is they are still going to be challenging for home ice in the playoffs. They've got some games in hand. Uh, over the teams that they're chasing. But now it's important to make good on those games in hand. If you don't win those games in hand, then they're really they're really valueless. So that's the way I'm looking at it. I see an opportunity to get back in the win column and until proven otherwise, that's just where my mindset is going down the back half of the stretch, back half of the season. Bag Nelk, our guest from Oilers Nation on Sports 1440 in the Lowdown with Low Tide. So I know it's a small sample, but but we're an instant analysis business what do you think of Corey Perry on the line with Ryan McLeod and Dylan Holloway? 
I, I like the way that line is producing chances. I think that they've got a little bit of chemistry going. It's going to take some more time to see it develop. But, like, against Vegas, we saw that line producing chances. Now, they didn't get a goal, but with a little bit of luck, they probably would have had one. I think of later in the game in the third period, Corey Perry had a wide-open look at the net, just went up high and wide. That could have been a big difference right there. It's going to take some time to gel. But I like the way those three are playing together. There's a lot of speed. There's a veteran there that's going to pull them into the fight, whether they want to or not. And for a guy like Holloway and a guy like McLeod, I think that might be good for their development as well. Show them that there's no reason to be timid. They're big boys. They can get in the mix. And Corey Perry, like I said, is going to drag them in there. So I really like the way that line's looking right now. And if they could start to chip in with a little offense, which I truly believe is coming based on the way they're playing together, then all of a sudden the Oilers are going to have three legit options to potentially score. And I don't know about you, Al, but the idea of three scoring lines has been a dream that I've had since I started following this team, and I feel like we're so, so close to making that happen. So you didn't think the Toby Peterson line was a scoring line then, based on what you're saying. You thought that was maybe the fourth line. Listen, I had a lot of a lot of hope for JF Jocks up on the first line as well, but sometimes the plan doesn't come to fruition. It doesn't work out the way we think it will. So this time, I actually feel a lot more confident in the plan. Um, but yeah, I do remember those days where Toby Peterson was moonlighting up on the top six, and JF Jocks started the season on the top line. So. We are a long way from those those line combos. I'll tell you that much. It's funny because I remember the. I don't know whether it was Bob. I don't remember who. It might have been Gregor. Somebody tweeted out the lines or sent out the lines or published the lines. And I, I, you know how sometimes you read stuff and it doesn't register, so you got to read it again and again. And I remember Pat Quinn's first lineup that he sent out there. I think Gagne and Morrow were on the fourth line. And I'm like, this is like bizarro world. And uh, uh, Jacques was on the, the top line. And it didn't last long. I, I think the the, the Jacques-Horkoff-Hemsky line lasted like a minute 24. But it was a shock to the system. I'm sure the players were surprised by it, too. Oh, 100%. It was, I remember those days. And, you know, I even remember, as you're talking about it, all I can think about was the joint press conference where Tom Rennie and Pat Quinn came out as a unit. And they were going to be the co-coaches or whatever the labels were at that time. And it just seems like forever ago. It kind of was at this point, but it, it's so bizarre to look back on those line combos and just how the team was going at that point. But at the same at the same time, Oilers fans always had hope. Hope will never die in this market. And no. even when we had Gagne on the fourth and Jock on the first, we still believed that there was a chance it could work. And uh, I think we're a little bit older and a little bit wiser, but... Um, yeah, those are some interesting memories for sure, especially having covered the team at that point. You know, you make a great point, Bag Milk. I, I think one of the things that does make Oiler fans unique and allowed them to suffer through the decade of darkness that really, you know, was a little longer than a decade is that that there's a there's a belief deep inside Oiler fans that one day the promised land will be reached. And I think they're closer now than they've been at any time since 2006. Is that fair? I completely agree with you. As you were talking and as you were talking about the hope we all felt, I think back to one specific offseason where the Oilers signed Ben Eager, Darcy Hordachuk, and Eric Belanger took the extra year because he believed in what was going on around here. (laughs) We are light years from that moment. We are light years from that. We've got the two best players in the NHL on the roster. We've got depth for the first time. We're talking about a team that looks nothing like those ones we used to watch back in the day, except for the clothes they're wearing on the ice. And I think that's pretty special that this, that the fan base is stuck with 
this club throughout all those dark times. And now, hopefully, we're going to enjoy some of the fruits of that hardship. I remember that because Ben Eager was the big forward free agent signing. There was Hardichuk and Belanger, but, Hard- but Eager was expected to play a physical game. And he got wrecked by a guy named Carol Tulipoff in the, I think it was the, was it the Joey Moss Joey game? Moss yeah. <laughs> he didn't even he didn't even get into preseason. The Oilers had so many things happen that were just like catastrophic. It was almost like you expected Colby Kosh said it was like you walked outside and you expected the anvil to fall directly on your head. That was being an Oilers fan at that time. It really was. It really was, but at the same point the the positive the positive attitude towards the team remained. It was always there and even when things went sideways, we ended up having some fun with it anyway. At OilersNation.com, that's when we started talking about exciting last place hockey. Because at the time, we were looking for top picks. And we were still wanting the boys to compete hard and to win. But that just didn't go the way they wanted. So I think back to that 2011-2012 season when Ben Eager first joined us. And again, even though that's only 12 years ago, it feels like a lifetime ago. It does. Um, this changes every week, so I ask it every week. I'm not lazy, I promise. What do you see the need being now? I mean, right wing center, right defense, backup goalie are the same, but what's the what's the number one need or or are we not sure? Maybe it's best player. I think best player might be the approach they actually take. But what I'd prefer is, you know, you see and again, I'm no I'm no mathematician and I'm no GM. And thankfully that there's there's guys with a lot more experience that are in those roles. But to me, I look at the team and I think about the way the playoffs went last year specifically, where we had outside of Connor and Leon some you know, some some trouble scoring goals in the playoffs. And and I think that was a big reason that the Oilers inevitably bowed out to Vegas in the second round is because some of that depth scoring wasn't there. So when I look at the lineup now, man, I'd love to have a scoring winger right side Leon Drysaddle. Is it Jake Gensel? It might be Jake Gensel. Can they make that work, though? Could they make the cap work? Could they make the trade work? Do they have the assets that Pittsburgh would need to make happen? On the other hand, could they swing something with Calgary for a guy like Chris Tanev? Of course, he needs to be healthy, but ultimately, if you're going to upgrade on Cody Cece, you need a sure thing. The boys on Tyler Yarmstack show, Others Nation Everyday, spoke to Luke Gazdick a couple days ago, and he said, listen, if you're going to upgrade on Cece, you better make sure that whatever's coming back is a clear upgrade. You don't want to mess with the juju in the dressing room either. So if I'm picking... I'd love to see a scoring winger beside Leon Dreisaitl. My pick would be Jake Gensel. Of course, making a trade like that happen is easier said than done. My second would be probably an upgrade on defense. And then lower in the lineup, you know, a centerman, a right-handed centerman specifically in the bottom six that can maybe have a little bit of touch, help kill some penalties, take some draws, ease the pressure on Derek Ryan from having to play those center minutes. I think that would be my one, two, three. But, of course, my my wish list and Ken Hall's wish list may not look anything alike. But if it was up to me, Jake Gensel would be in weather and he would be here tomorrow. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it would cost the first and maybe Roberg, and that might cause them to stop because he's a rental. But I, I also think that, that it's go time because, you know, the summer is going to bring the Leon contract negotiations. You're not assured of these 30-plus wingers being healthy a year from now. They are now. Uh, and it's uh, the Mandel bombs are, are you know they're they're barking, and I think this might be the time to do it. If the Edmonton Oilers were to win the Stanley Cup, I think I've asked you this before, but I want you to say it again. Where would the party be? Would it be White Avenue? Would it be in front of the the uh, uh, arena, or would it be maybe at Nation headquarters? Well, I think that is important to start at Nation HQ. 
That's where we're going to kick it off. But then I think if you remember back to 2006 when we were all migrating to White Ave after the Oilers would win hockey games, I think it's going to be a touring party. We're going to start at Rogers Place. We're going to weave our way down Jasper. We're going to cross the high-level bridge. We're going to go to White Ave. We're going to set up shop there. They're going to have to close the streets down again. Now, listen, I'm not talking about bonfires in the middle of the street with the pallets like we saw in 2006. But somewhere between that and a wild block party, I think, is going to be the case. But the reality is when the Oilers win the Stanley Cup, this city is not going to stop celebrating for months. When you look back at when the Capitals won the Cup and you saw Ovechkin celebrating in the fountains at the Bellagio, we're all going to be in the fountains at the ledge. We're all going to be in the fountains anywhere near us. So I just cannot wait to be in this city because the party is going to be going on no matter where you're at, and I can't wait to see it. The city is a great place when the Oilers are in the playoffs. And when they win, I'm going to have to clear my schedule. I'm probably going to have to take a couple of weeks (laughs) off work because I'm going to be doing nothing productive. The whole town is going to be a mess for a couple of weeks. So it was... was, um... Shirts off for Horkoff. What are we going with? Uh, uh, take off your leotards for Bouchard. What are we doing if if that happens? Do we have a rhyme yet? I don't have a rhyme yet, but it's important that we think of one. You know, uh, we're not mad for Dad. I'm just spitballing here, but all I know <laughs> is I'm going to be ordering Lederhosen in Oilers colors for every single win, so that no matter what happens, I'm supporting Leon Drysdale and making him feel a little bit more at home. We got a big contract negotiation coming up in the summer, so. He feels a little bit more like home. I think that's important. So while I have to work on the rhyme, Val, I already have the outfit in place, and it is going to be blue and orange lederhosen. Love and it. We're all going to look great while we're wearing it. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, Bagnell. Have a great one. I appreciate you.